Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Walter. Today we're going to be reading the last chapter of Polygamy in the Bible, Chapter 26, Conclusion. We'll be on pages 280 to 293. The reader portion of the program is about 26 minutes long and then we'll get into the commentary. Thank you for listening. Conclusion, chapter 26 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 280 to 293. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Polygamy began in Genesis of the Bible, and it has been going on ever since. In spite of 486 translations, the Bible still tells the same story, God shows his people live plural marriage. Many try to separate the laws of the Old Testament from the New. But if that could be done, then Christ came to destroy the law even if he said he didn't. But when men revoke or change the law of God, they consequently change and revoke the blessings. No wonder monogamists have never received the choice blessings given to the polygamists. The Bible is not only a good yardstick by which to measure the laws and doctrines of salvation, but it must be used to free men's minds from the shackles of priestcraft, bigotry and superstition. Prejudiced popes and over-righteous reverends have slammed and slurred polygamy until they have almost obliterated it. In their holy war against God's laws, they have acted the part of the devil's disciples. But the cry of delusion and then proving it are two different things. Neither ministers nor mobs have ever presented an intelligent opposition to polygamy, so their fight is all fluff and froth. The greatest missionary effort of today consists of ridding our minds of the dross that has been flowing out of the pens and pulpits of these mischief makers for the past 2,000 years. Little wonder that Jesus told them, Yet teach for doctrines the commandments of men. And thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. But these man-made deceptions have always entered into the realms of religion. About 2,500 years ago, Jeremiah the prophet explained that the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. So times haven't changed. It is almost inconceivable that God would reveal so much information to his true prophets speaking to them personally, in visions, in dreams, through the Urim and Thummim, 
and by angels and dash, and yet forget to mention that plural marriage was wrong. How could all these polygamist prophets be so right about the laws of God, and yet be so ignorant about polygamy if it were a sin? It is very evident that the devil always makes war against things coming from God. Lucifer's propaganda and proclamations are often dispensed through those who wear the robes and frocks of ecclesiastics, or in publications from their finest presses, or they are heard in the howls of mobs, or in the tirades of political aspirants. They have all had their day of defiance against polygamy. Neither the laws of God nor nature are affected by man. Human agencies, or pulpit pounders, have no control over when the tide will rise or when the sun will set. Neither can they affect any other mandate of God. The Lord's laws of marriage will also continue to exist, with or without the sanction of mortal man. Man cannot legislate on sin any more than he can forgive sin. The Lord dispenses his perpetual laws and man has no power to put them asunder. Any rivalry with God is perilous. Human agencies and individuals have regulated monogamy and opposed polygamy. And what is the result? These same men may live with half a dozen women in their legal and consecutive divorce system and dash which God has condemned. Or they may participate in extramarital relationships or prostitution, which man has made legal, but God has condemned. The result is a people corrupted by their own law system. Unconsciously we have become awed to the pagan philosophies of Rome, Greece and the Babylonians. Polygamy is being called a relic of barbarism, but it was a relic that God's prophets had chosen for their family lifestyle. The Bible forbid prostitution but permitted polygamy. Our society forbids polygamy and permits prostitution. Take monogamy as it is today, in Protestant countries, and we see that the old Roman leaven is still in it. Christianity has not reformed and purified that system so much as it has corrupted Christianity. Most of us in these countries are accustomed to congratulate ourselves upon our happy escape from the bondage and the bigotry of the papal church. But we are mistaken. We have not escaped. Rome binds us in stronger shackles than the iron chains of the Holy Inquisition. Her shackles are upon our consciences, they are intertwined with every fiber of our social life. Both old Rome under the heathens, and modern Rome under a desecrated Christianity have enjoyed the fruits of their decadent marriage system. Their apostate doctrine and influence have spread into every nation where Christianity predominates. Let's consider the problem facing 1,000 contending divisions of Christianity and which is illustrated in the following example, a polygamist living in the Orient, or the Far East, or even in the United States, is confronted by a Christian missionary who wants the man to join his church. But the missionary said he cannot be a Christian and continue to be a polygamist. But the polygamist contends that he married all of his wives under the same conditions. They all bore him children. They all love him. And he loves all of them. 
the modern minister is confronted with the following problems. One. Since the Old Testament says polygamy has God's approval and the New Testament does not disapprove of it, how can it be justly condemned? 2. Where in the New Testament does it say that a polygamist, his wives or his children cannot be baptized? 3. If he should baptize them, are they not Christians as much as anyone else? 4. If only the monogamist's children are allowed to be baptized, where is it so written? 5. Since both the Old and New Testaments forbid any man to put away his wife, where is the law that would allow him to do it? 6. Can a minister tell anyone to lawfully divorce his wives? 7. Since all this man's wives were married under the same conditions, what scripture tells him which ones are to be divorced? 8. If the polygamist divorces his wives, where does it say they can marry again? 9. Where in the teachings of Christ does it say that men must honor all the laws and the prophets who lived polygamy for 4,000 years, but must condemn anyone who lives those laws today? 10. Where in the Bible does it permit a man to destroy his family, destroy his love for his wives, destroy the wives' love for him, and destroy the love of their children and dash just so he could join a church that says it is right to do so? The real truth is simple. A true Christian is taught and is willing to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He also knows that God is the same yesterday today and forever and that in his teachings there is no variableness neither shadow of turning his laws and commandments have included plural marriage the true christian knows that god has always honored the polygamists and their children more than he ever did the monogamists and that such a man is entitled to the blessings of abraham he also knows that the ancient patriarchs were never told to obey the law of monogamy that Moses never issued such a law, and that Jesus never made up such a law. History shows that monogamy became a law with the band of outlaws hiding in the hills of Rome. Thus it could not have been a mandate from heaven. Any church claiming to be a true Christian church must accept polygamy. Otherwise, how would it be possible to honor all of the prophet polygamists of the Bible? and still honor a minister who condemns their lifestyle? All the evidence in the Bible proves that polygamy was not a sin, that God encouraged it, that he gave laws on how it should be lived, and then gave promises and blessings to those who lived it. Yet our modern Christians won't believe it. Thus, it proves that any man, or any church, that condemns the law and practice of polygamy is not of God. We read in the Bible that all men will be judged according to their works. Therefore, men and women will have different degrees of glory. Paul explained that, one start of from another start in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Thus there are many mansions in the kingdom of heaven. But where does that put the polygamists? John, the beloved apostle, 
had a vision and behold a great throne of God in heaven and the holy city where he dwells. But on the gates of that great city were that names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. What? God puts the names of polygamous children on the gates to heaven? The more we read the Bible, the more we are convinced that God honors the polygamists. Even Jesus is suspected of this, as he said, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when you shall see Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets, in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. But there are so many pious Christians today that are disgraced to associate with polygamists here in mortality, so they will surely be offended to associate with them in heaven. What a shocking experience it would be for that modest and temperate ladies of today to greet polygamists in the kingdom of heaven. Oh dear, how they will scorn such a situation. They will probably be eager to leave without even waiting to be thrust out. It is certain that our over-righteous reverence will do so. Jesus charged the chief priests and elders with sin because they would not admit to things which they knew to be true. He then told them that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. The chief priests, elders and ministers of today are guilty of the same sins. They refuse to admit or accept those things which have come from God and dash such as the law of plural marriage. To clarify his position, Jesus said, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. John 8.39 The work that Abraham did was to live righteously with several wives for about 19 years. When Jesus held up Abraham as a model saint, he didn't say to do all the works of Abraham except for his polygamy. Thus, all who want to enjoy the association of Abraham must honor his lifestyle. Otherwise, they will not enjoy his society in heaven. Jesus said so. The ancients almost venerated children. Luther said that the fruit of the womb was valued so highly among them and was such a precious thing that people regarded physical virginity or honor as very little in comparison. But this is not the case with us. Children are often the product of accidents in dash if they are allowed to be born at all. Our streets are swarming with prostitutes, mothers are butchering their offspring, virgin children are being seduced, adultery is commonplace, and divorce is nearly as frequent as marriage. It is a day of prophetic fulfillment and dash a day when we are taught to believe these things are sinful that God has commanded, and the things which are lawful are the things God has forbidden. Surely we have degenerated into an era of paganism. Divorce was once considered very serious, but today it is popular and marriage is considered unnecessary. Test marriages, called pair marriage relationships are customary, and 70% to 75% of college-age youths are already living together. Picture of the couple getting a marriage license and the person at the counter saying, Do you, John, take Mary, in this test marriage, to love? honor, 
and cherish until one of you decided to split? Polygamy is not a trial and error system of marriage. It is a law given to a righteous people for the purpose of raising an honorable family. God said of Abraham, I know him, that he will commend his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and judgment. Genesis David said that, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. We have reversed that ideology. Children now are accidents, or orphaned or aborted. But most frequently they are prevented by contraceptives or sexual surgery. It was Rachel who bewailed, oh give me children, or else I die. But women today are saying, give us laws and government aid so we can make our children die. Polygamy is not meant for those people. Blessings which are intended for the righteous are not to be enjoyed by the wicked. To do so would bring temporal and spiritual cursings. Hence, that which will bring a blessing to the righteous will bring a cursing upon the wicked. The Ark of God brought blessings to the Israelites while it was in their hands, but when it was taken by the Philistines, who had no business with it, it brought cursings, plagues, and death. Conversely, when the righteous attempt to live by the practices of the heathen, they, too, will become cursed. A wicked man can have but little love for his wife. But, a righteous man, being filled with the love of God, is sure to express that heavenly attribute in his thoughts and his character. This will draw respect and confidence from his wives and children. But, who are these righteous people? Israel, Israel and Ash always Israel. The Bible is a book about Israelites. It is a book for the Israelites. God chose a special people on whom he would bestow his show us his blessings. They were to be a kingdom of priests and an holy nation who would be called Israel. But who are the Israelites? They came from the twelve sons of Jacob, the polygamies, and eventually became scattered throughout the nations. The Jews are Israelites, but not all Israelites are Jews. The Jews are descendants of one of Jacob's twelve sons called Judah. It was prophesied that in the latter days these Israelites would again be gathered together. To Israel were given the Ark of the Covenant, the Urim and Thummim the oracles of revelation, the rites of the priesthood, visions, dreams, the ministering of angels and the blessings of victory over all their enemies against untold odds. To this were added the blessing of numerous posterity and other incomprehensible blessings of heaven. But what has happened that these things are not apparent today? Paul the apostle foresaw the future and what would happen to the gospel of Christ. He was saddened to realize that there would come a falling away. When he wrote to Timothy, the reality of it had already come and he said, All they which are in Asia be turned away. Then he marveled that those in Galatia were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, and also that there be some that trouble you, 
and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But with the sadness of this general apostasy, he understood that the times of refreshing shall come, which was to be the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Acts 3.21 It would be brought about that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, but this was only a part of ancient prophecy concerning the latter days. All of the prophets testify that in these last days, war shall come upon all nations as it never has before. Jesus also testified that nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes, in diverse places. Isaiah the prophet said that, Thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war. So many men will fall by the sword that, in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread, and wear our own apparel, only let us be called by thy name, to take away our approach. Although a similar situation had occurred before in Israel, this was to take place, when nations shall not lift up their swords again for a thousand years, neither shall they learn war any more. It is for those few men that are left that the Lord said, I will make a man more precious than fine gold. But those men are polygamists with seven wives. Can you imagine that the Lord will introduce his thousand year reign on the earth with a bunch of polygamists? The Lord manifests his approval of this condition according to Isaiah, who said, The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of the flaming fire by night. These are the dwelling places, where polygamous men are living with seven women. Right after his mention of seven women taking hold of one man, Isaiah said, in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass, that he that is left in Zion, and he that remaineth in Jerusalem, shall be called holy. He said that the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, by turning them over to polygamist living. And then shall that branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. God loves his children and he does everything he can for their happiness. In perfect wisdom and in a just, kind and benevolent manner, he brings about conditions and gives commandments which are for their best good. There is no evil or mischief in his laws. They are given for the best possible reasons and to enable the receiving of the best possible blessings. But we have become an ungrateful people. We, who have a Bible in our hands, fail to appreciate what its history has taught us. We refute its doctrines and do not acknowledge its laws. It has ever been so. Out of ten men who were healed of leprosy, only one gave thanks to Jesus and praise to God. So it is with our present generation. We are totally indebted to the polygamists and their descendants. To Abraham, Jacob, 
Moses, David, and their descendants, we are indebted for conveying a knowledge of the true God. We are indebted to those polygamists for the Bible itself. And, how much more should we feel indebted to them for Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, who came through that strain of prophets, priests and kings who lived polygamy. It is with the greatest honor we pay tribute to those comparatively faithful few, who, in the face of prison, expulsion, excommunication, and even death itself, have maintained their integrity by defending the laws of God. Indeed they are the salt of the earth, and their lives and their doctrines shall stand as a witness to the unalterable truths of God throughout the eternities. Conclusion, Chapter 26 of Polygamy in the Bible, pages 280 to 293. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude, Chapter 1, Verse 3. Polygamy began in Genesis of the Bible and it has been going on ever since. In spite of 486 translations, the Bible still tells the same story. God's choicest people lived plural marriage. Many try to separate the laws of the Old Testament from the New Testament. But if that could be done, then Christ came to destroy the law, even if he said that he didn't which would make him a liar. But when men revoke or change the law of God, they consequently change and revoke the blessings. No wonder monogamists have never received the choicest blessings given to the polygamists. The Bible is not only a good yardstick by which to measure the laws and doctrines of salvation, but it must be used to free men's minds from the shackles of priestcraft, bigotry, and superstition. Prejudices, our prejudiced popes and overrighteous reverends have slammed and slurred polygamy until they have almost obliterated it. In their holy war against God's law, <clears throat> they have God's laws, they have acted the part of the devil's disciples. But the cry of delusion and then proving it are two different things. Neither ministers nor moths have ever presented an intelligent opposition to polygamy, so their fight is all to fluff and froth. Page 281 The greatest missionary efforts of today consists of ridding our minds of the dross that has been flocked flowing out of the pens and pulpits of these mischief-makers for the past 2,000 years. Little wonder that Jesus told them, Ye teach for doctrines the commandments of men, Mark chapter 7, verse 7, and 
Thus have you made the commandments of God of none effect in your tradition. Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. But these man-made deceptions have always entered into the realms of religion. About 2,500 years ago, the prophet Yahu or Jeremiah, let's see, explained that the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. And my people love to have it so. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. So times haven't changed at all. It is almost inconceivable that God would reveal so much information to his true prophets speaking to them personally or in visions, in dreams, through the use of the Urim and Thummim, and by angels, and by his own voice and his own presence. I'm, I'm adding that, but... And yet, forget to mention that plural marriage was wrong. How could all of these polygamous prophets be so right about the laws of God and yet be so ignorant about polygamy if it were a sin? It is very evident that the devil always makes the makes war against things coming from God. He says Lucifer, but I'm going to say Satan because Lucifer fell and he had his name and title of Lucifer taken from him and he became Satan. So these idiots that keep on throwing Luciferian words out there, I'm sorry, Lucifer is a title which means bearer of light and truth. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And anyway, so Satan's propaganda and proclamation are often dispensed through those who wear the robes and frocks of ecclesiastics or in the publications from the finest presses or they are heard in the howls of mobs in the tirades of political aspirants. They have all had their day of defiance against polygamy. Neither the laws of God nor nature are affected by man. Human agencies or pulpit pounders have no control over when the tide will rise or when the sun will set. Page 282. Neither can they affect any other mandate of the Lord. The Lord's laws of marriage will also continue to exist with or without the sanction of mortal man. Man cannot legislate on sin any more than he can forgive sin. The Lord dispenses perpetual laws and man has no power to put them asunder. Any rivalry with God is perilous. Human agencies and individuals have regulated monogamy and opposed polygamy. And what is the result? These same men may live with half of a dozen women in their legal and consecutive divorce system, which God has condemned. And nobody says anything about that. Like, there's more divorcees out there than there are polygamists. But, you know, we've got to go after the polygamists for their sincere, sincere religious beliefs. 
but who cares about the divorcees, which was actually condemned by God. And Jesus condemned it, so. Or they might participate in extramarital relationships or prostitution, which man has made legal, at least in some cases, but God has condemned. So it's legal, prostitution's legal in Nevada and I think in Holland. And who knows where else, I don't know, I'm not an expert in prostitution, but the result is a people corrupted by their own law system. Unconsciously, we have become moored to the pagan philosophies of Rome, Greece, and the Babylon, Babylonians. Polygamy is being called a relic of barbarism, but it was a relic of God's prophets that God's prophets had chosen for their family lifestyle. The Bible forbids prostitution, but permitted polygamy. Our society forbids polygamy and permits prostitution. Take monogamy as it is today in Protestant countries, and we see that the old Roman leaven is still in it. So I was just thinking of the high-priced hookers you know they call them escorts they can get around whatever but you know and like they can hire the escort to go and do a thing you know accompany them or whatever and you know if they if she decides to have sex with them then that was something that she did on her, her own personal time you know according to however much of a tip she got or something you know anyway but I'm just they just came to my mind. Anyway, um, let's see here. Christianity has not reformed and purified the system so much that it has corrupted Christianity. Okay. Christianity has not reformed or purified that system so much that it has corrupted Christianity. I'm sorry. I'm having a hard time because I am actually tired, but... So I got home today about 5.30 in the morning and I woke everyone up and I helped get everybody ready and then I fell asleep until 10.30 and then I woke up and my son's home so he woke me up and my daughter's home because she is kind of feeling sick today. Um, so I was like, okay, well, maybe I can get some more sleep. And I think I slept for maybe a half an hour, 45 minutes. And then my son hurt his finger. So then he had to have me kiss it better. <laughs> and then he was okay. And then um, I had to change him and get him some food and get him his cuppy. And now I'm just like laying here exhausted thinking about how I have to go to work tonight and, you know, whatever. And I can't sleep. So I'm like, oh, I might as well just do this radio show since it's such a burden on everybody who I, who I ask to help because they've got so many other things that they have to do. And I'm feeling like I just want to check out and be done with everything like at this point but anyway continuing with the reading 
Most of us in these countries are accustomed to con congratulate ourselves upon our happy escape from the bondage and bigotry of the papal church, but we are mistaken. We have not escaped. Rome bind, binds us stronger in stronger shackles than the iron chains of ho the Holy Inquisition. We're on page 283. Her shackles are upon our conscience. They are intertwined with every fiber of our social life. History of Philosophy by uh, of Marriage by Reverend James Campbell, page 144. And we're 25% finished with the reading for today. Both Old Rome under the heathens and Modern Rome under the de desecrated Christianity or apostate Babylonian pagan Christianity have enjoyed the fruits of their decadent marriage system. Their apostate doctrine and influence have spread into every nation where Christianity predominates. Let's consider the problem facing 1,000 contending divisions of Christianity and which is illustrated in the following example. A. Polygamous living in the Orient or in the Far East or even in the United States is confronted by a uh, Christian missionary who wants the man to join his church, but the missionary said he cannot be a Christian and continue to be a polygamist. So they would advocate for the divorce and the destruction of a family before they would offer their salvation through the form of baptism or whatever the damned apostate doctrines teach them, which the LDS Church does the same thing. They would tear apart a polygamous family rather than baptize them and give them salvation. But the polygamist contends that he married all of his wives under the same conditions. They all bore him children, they all love him, and he loves all of them. But the modern minister is confronted with the following problems. Number one. Since the Old Testament says polygamy has God's approval and the New Testament does not disapprove of it, how can he justly be condemned? Number two, where in the New Testament does it say that a polygamist, his wives or his children, cannot be baptized? And you know, everybody flipped out about the, the, the restriction on um, the children of gay married couples a couple of years ago. But that policy had been in place for a long time against the polygamists. Where they would not baptize adult children who had come out of polygamy um, without like some special dispensation from his holiness on high. I mean... Um, Cody Brown, the husband on Sister Wives, um, one of his daughters wanted to become an LDS Mormon, and they're AUB, so that's one of the biggest uh, churches in Utah 
that still live polygamy and try to keep the principle alive. And um, I think there are like 250,000 people. I think. I'm not sure. Uh, they tried to actually uh, convert me over to their... Well, one of the guys did. And actually... Ah, we're going off on tangents today. I'm just going to talk about it. So, they have several different main areas. Uh, the biggest one is Bluffdale, Utah, which is now by the point of the mountain, by the prison. And anyway, but uh, and then that's where their headquarters is. But they have another place in Mount Pleasant. And one of the guys from Mount Pleasant, actually, um, I met him in Walmart in Price and we start started talking about you know Mormonism and religion and like all the stuff he was bringing up I was like oh yeah and and I would like quote it back to him and and then expound on it and he was very impressed that I knew all the stuff anyway so he'd come over to our house and we'd uh, he invited us over to his church, and they, like, showed me about how their United Order was and all of these things, and he wanted me to join their church. And he was asking God, and I don't know what kind of possession of authority or why he would even ask this, but he calls me up and he said, you know, I was asking God what your calling in the church should be and he told me to mind my business I already have a calling he didn't say it like that he said it in a different way but that's paraphrasing it he said mind my mind my own business I already had a calling and then he says he says what's your calling so I guess he wasn't minding his own business like Heavenly Father told him to but I said well I'll let you know someday, and you'll figure it out someday. Um, and I just didn't—I just didn't want to get into it, you know. Like, yeah, hi, I am God, the Witness, come in the flesh. I am the One, Mighty and Strong, the Davidic Servant, and all of the other things that I am. But I didn't just didn't want to get into it because I—I mean, I do it on this radio show, but there's like a separation, and I know I meet a lot of you out there in public and I know you're thinking things in your head but for the most part you're nice to me when you meet me because I'm a nice guy and you might think I'm delusional but I'm not a threat you know right at least I don't think you think I'm a threat anyway but um but, you know, I talk about it on the radio show because God has told me to be bold with my witness. <sighs> but sometimes I get tired of being bold with my witness and I, I wish I didn't have to say anything at all. But pretty much, you know, it's more a condemnation on you than me. Because I've been 100% upfront and open with who I am and what my mission is. And... You can accept it or reject it, but that's a you problem, not a me problem. I'm just going to do what I've been told. At least I'm going to try to, which sometimes I wish that uh, 
actually, all the time, I wish I didn't have to do this, but, you know, because people think I'm crazy or whatever. But anyway, getting back to Cody Brown, so they are part of the AUB, and one of his late teen daughters wanted to join the LDS church, and they wouldn't let her join because she's a member of polygamous society. You know, she rejected all of that. She doesn't want to be part of that. She just wants to be part of the mainstream church. But but they don't want her, you know, because whatever reason. So, you know, everybody flips out when it goes against, like when, uh, when the church flips out on the LGBT community. But they don't give two... two cents (laughs) about these you know the polygamous children that want to repent and and join the LDS church they could care less about them because they don't they're actually a threat they're more of a threat than the LGBT community because the community that they come from teaches them the Adam God doctrine it teaches them plural celestial marriage. It teaches them law of adoption. It teaches them consecration in the United Order. It teaches them all these things that the LDS Church doesn't want you to know about. Zion's redemption. All of the things. And they don't want somebody like that in their church. Because they want to keep you blind and dumb. And they want to, they want you to be at the point where you choke on skim milk and can't even handle, like, even licking the meat of the gospel, let alone chewing on it, you know? Anyway, so let's get back into the reading. Number three, if he should baptize them, are they not Christians as much as anyone else? Page 284.4. If only the monogamous children are allowed to be baptized, where is that so written? Oh, well, you know, they don't have to go to Scripture because we have living prophets that can be bigots, you know? We don't have to go back to the Scriptures. Uh, in fact, one of the things that drives me insane is, like, everybody quotes the the, the prophets and the, the leaders of the church instead of, like, getting your talks from Scriptures. You're just quoting other men. I mean, I guess scripture was written by man, but it was inspired of God. But so are the prophets, right? Anyway, number five. Since the Old and New Testaments forbid any man to put away his wife, where is the law that would allow him to do it? So, like, there is a condemnation of divorce in scripture. But in order for a polygamist, to become a Latter-day Saint or join many, many, many Christian denominations, he has to divorce his wife, which, which contradicts former revelation, and put away his wife, wives and children. Because, you know, rules are more important than the scriptures, I guess. Anyway, number six... Can a minister tell anyone to lawfully divorce his wives? No, he can't. Number seven, since all this man's 
wives were married under the same conditions, what scripture tells him which ones are to be divorced. Number eight, if the polygamist divorces his wives, where does it say they can marry again? Number nine, where in the teachings of Christ does it say that men must honor all the laws and the prophets who lived polygamy 4,000 years ago, but must condemn anyone who lived those laws today? Number ten, oh, and they'll they'll say, oh, it was just the culture. Uh, You know, um, we've gone over this over the last two months, I guess. Over two months. Um, but I went through the laws in, of in the Book of Moses, or the uh, the Mosaic laws. You know where God actually gave laws concerning polygamy. You know, so there is actually laws that govern polygamy. But you know, let's ignore those because whatever. Anyway, number ten. Where in the Bible does it permit a man to destroy his family, destroy his love for his wives, and destroy the wives' love for him, and destroy the love of their children, just so he could join a church that says it is right to do so? You know, so he can, like, get baptized and receive salvation from some apostate Christian church that doesn't know God and teaches by the precepts of men? The real simple truth The real truth is simple. A true Christian is taught and willing to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He also knows that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his teachings there in his teachings there is quote no variableness, neither shadow of turning, and that's according to David. His laws and commandments have included plural marriage. A true Christian knows that God has always honored the polygamist and their children more than he ever did the monogamists, and that such a man is entitled to the blessings of Abraham. He also knows that the ancient patriarchs were never told to obey the law of monogamy, that Moses never issued such a law, and that Jesus never made up such a law. History shows that monogamy became a law with a band of outlaws hiding in the hills of Rome. Thus, it could not have been a mandate from heaven. Any church claiming to be true Christians must accept polygamy. Otherwise, how would it be possible to honor all of the prophets, polygamists of the Bible, and still honor, honor a minister who condemns their lifestyle? All the evidence in the Bible proves that polygamy is not a sin, that God encouraged it, that he gave laws on how it should be lived, and then he gave promises and blessings to those who lived it. Yet our modern Christians won't believe it. Thus it proves that many, that any man or any church that condemns the law and practice of polygamy is not of God. We read in the Bible that all men will be judged according to their works, Revelations 20.12. Therefore, men and women will have different degrees of glory. Paul explains that one star differeth from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead, 1 Corinthians 15.41-42. Thus there are many mansions in the kingdom of heaven, see John 14.2. 
But where does that put the polygamist? John the beloved apostle had a vision and beheld the great throne of God in heaven and the holy city where he dwells, but on the gates of that great city were names written thereon, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Revelations 21.12 What? God put the name of polygamous children on the gates of heaven? And by the way, um, according to the church's official current teachings, um, Jacob's Twelve sons would not be able to be baptized in the church because they were the children of a polygamist. Anyway, we're at 47% of the reading for today. The more we are convinced that God honors the polygamist, even Jesus is suspected of this, as he said, there shall be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of, of God and you yourself thrust out. Luke thirteen twenty eight. But there are many pious Christians today who are disgraced that are disgraced to associate with polygamists to immortality, so they will surely be offended to associate with them in heaven. What a shocking experience it would be for the modest and temperate ladies of today to greet the polygamists of the kingdom of heaven. Oh dear, how they will scorn at a situation or clutch their pearls. They will probably be eager to leave without even waiting to be thrust out. It is certain that our overrighteous righteous reverence will do so. Jesus charged the chief priests and elders with sin because they would not admit to things which they knew to be true. He then told them that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of heaven before or the kingdom of God before you, Matthew twenty one thirty one. The chief priests and elders and ministers of today are guilty of the same sins. They refuse to admit or to accept those things which have come from God, such as the law of plural marriage, page two hundred and eighty seven at fifty three percent. To clarify his position, Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, John 8, 39. The work of Abraham, the work that Abraham did was to righteous, live righteously with several wives for about 19 years. When Jesus held up Abraham as a model saint, he didn't say to do the works of Abraham except for this polygamy. You know, and these people who are like, well, God said to take your only son and to kill him. You know, talking from uh, Abraham to Isaac. So let's just throw Ishmael out because he wasn't really a son, right? I I don't even know. I and they'll say, well, that just proves that the Deuteronomist changed everything. Well, um, if the Deuteronomist changed the fact that Isaac was his only son. Maybe I could agree with you. Because you'll you'll take it one way and say that this is the way it has to be because you reject polygamy, but you won't look at it the other way, saying, well, maybe they just screwed up this part. You know, and, and translation errors do exist. So, I don't know. I don't even know. I mean, you know what? People who... 
want to reject plural celestial marriage based on a false interpretation of one scripture are like snakes dipped in oil. They are hard to catch and they will bite you. But they're not from God. I don't care how much they think that they are. Uh, They're Judas goats. They are Judas goats. And people who follow them might learn a whole lot from them. But they will be finally be... They're not dragged off to the left hand. They willingly walk there. And that's fine. I mean, we understand multiple mortal probations. Everybody has to go through the experiences they have to go through. And, you know, they'll come back in another life and they will learn more. But that road of ascension that they think that they're on, they're not on it. They're being led through persuasion and long-suffering in the wrong direction by people who think that they're doing God a service by rejecting all of the scriptures except for one verse which is misinterpreted because they don't want to accept polygamy, which is fine. They don't have to. But I'm going to stand here and I'm going to guard against it. And you know what? I hope that they learn, and they're going to learn, and, you know, they do know a lot of things. <laughs> but if they can't accept all that God has to reveal, then they'll just have to come back, and they'll have to learn more, and they'll have to go through this again and again and again and again until they finally get it. Anyway... All right, let's see here. Oh, you know what? I think I said this before, but you know how Jesus knows what it's like to be divorced? Because before he came into his last mortality, he had been divorced. Before he came into his last mortality, he had had children die and wives die, and he'd been in car accidents. And he had been in so many different prior mortal probations, which people don't understand. And Joseph tried to teach them in the lecture at the Grove, you know, about how we do come back. And like before I even read that lecture, I was trying to understand reincarnation and I was trying to understand if it was a true principle because there's evidence that the Jews believed in reincarnation by the things that they said to Jesus Christ. And then I found this one really interesting case, and I was asking God, you know, well, this seems really pretty evident that, that you know, there is reincarnation. Because this kid, I mean, how could he know all these things? And um, I don't want to get into the, the huge story, but God told me, well, the reason he remembers all those things is because he was a ministering spirit to that person who died, and he remembers their life not because he was that person. And then he said there was more to it. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. But he didn't tell me what the more to it was until later. But when I continued to study things out, he finally said, the secret is that when 
you're resurrected, you're damned in that state of resurrection forever. You cannot progress. But you can put off that resurrection and become a spirit again and go on a new earth with a new savior and uh, and go through experiences so that you can gain a higher resurrection. That's how it's done. And Joseph Smith was trying to teach that lecture at the Grove. And he did teach enough, you know, but, and then that wasn't until later until I found out um, about the lecture at the Grove. But, you know, Elder Holland was talking about, I don't know how Jesus knows all these things, but I just trust that he does. Well, if you would flip and teach the law of multiple mortal probations, you would understand that Jesus had been a truck driver at one time. Because each of these earths are very similar. They follow a path, and we live on different, um, different times in that earth, you know, and we experience different things. And we go through this so many di different times throughout the eons that you've probably been in mortal probations hundreds of thousands, if not millions of times. And Jesus, when he finished his last mortal probation and became a savior and redeemed the world, the veil was opened up to him and he remembers all of his experiences which is part of the reason why John said if all the things that Jesus did were written in books, the whole world would not be able to contain the volumes that should be written. Because he lived many lifetimes, and he went through all of those experiences to ascend to the level where he is today, which is our Redeemer, and by the law of adoption, our Father in heaven. And in the next earth, he will be our Father, and that will be his earth. And I am going way too far off. If you want me to expand on those things, call in and ask me. All right. Thus, all who want to enjoy the association of Abraham must honor his lifestyle. Otherwise, they will not enjoy society in heaven. Jesus said so. The ancients almost venerated children. Luther said that the fruit of the womb was so value, valued so highly among them that it was such a precious thing that people regarded physical, physical virginity or honor as very little in comparison. Luther's works, volume 49, page 291. But this is not the case with us. Children are often the products of accidents if they are allowed to be born at all. Our streets are swarming with prostitutes, mothers, and butchering their offspring. Children are, are being seduced. Adultery is commonplace, and divorce is nearly as frequent as marriage. It is... A day of prophetic fulfillment. A day when we are taught to believe things that are sinful that God has commanded. And the thing which, things which are lawful 
are the things that God has forbidden. Surely we have degenerated into an era of paganism. Divorce was once considered very serious, but today it is popular and marriage is considered unnecessary. Test marriages, called pair marriage relationships, are customary, and 70 to 75% of college-age youth are already living together. Page 288 at 60%. A picture a couple getting a marriage license and the person at the counter saying, Do you, John, take Mary in this test marriage to love, honor, and cherish her until one of you decides to split? Polygamy is not a trial and error system of marriage. It is a law given to righteous people for the purpose of raising an honorable family. God said of Abraham, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. David said that children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Psalms chapter 127, verse 3. We've reversed that ideology. Children now are accidents or orphaned or aborted, but more, most frequently they're prevented by contraceptives or sexual surgery. It was Rachel who bewailed, be quote, Give me, oh, give me children or else I die. But women today are saying, Give us laws and government aid so we can make our children die. Polygamy is not meant for those people. Blessings are, which are intended for the righteous are not to be enjoyed by the wicked. To do so would bring temporal and spiritual cursings. Hence that which will bring a blessing to the righteous will bring a cursing upon the wicked. The ark of God brought blessings to the Israelites while it was in their hands, but when it was taken by the Philistines who had no business with it, it brought cursings, plagues, and death. Conversely, when the righteous attempt to live by the practices of the heathens, they too will become cursed. A wicked man can have but little love for his wife, but a righteous man, being filled with the love of God, is sure to express that heavenly attribute in his thoughts and his character. This will draw respect and confidence from his wives and children, but, but who are these righteous people? Israel. Israel always Israel. The Bible is a book about Israelites. It is a book for the Israelites. God chose, God chose a special people on whom he would bestow his choicest blessings. They were to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, according to Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. How would Israel, who would be called Israel, uh, but who are the Israelites? They came from the twelve sons of Jacob, the polygamist, and eventually became scattered throughout the nation. The Jews are Israelites, but not all Israelites are Jews. The Jews are descendants of one of Jacob's sons, called Judah. It was prophesied that the latter day, in the latter days, these Israelites would again be gathered together. Page two hundred and ninety. We're at 
to Israel were given the Ark of the Covenant, the Urim and Thummim, or the Urim and Tumim, the oracles of revelation, the rites of the priesthood, visions, dreams, and the ministering of angels, and the blessings of victory over all their enemies against untold odds. To this were added the blessings of a numerous posterity and other incomprehensible blessings from heaven. But what has happened to these things but what has happened that these things are not apparent today. Paul the Apostle foresaw the future and what would happen to the gospel of Christ. He was saddened to realize that there would come a falling away or an apostasia. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. And some people say, well, it means to be led away, and maybe that means the rapture. No, that's not what it's talking about. Read it in context. Flip an apostate Christian morons. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is talking about the apostasy in the church, which was already going on in the church at the time, which would get worse and worse and worse until there would be a prophet of God who would become a son of perdition, who would sit in the temple of God, and he would elevate himself above the throne of God. And it, that's what Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is, to, uh, is talking about. There's a principle there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that all they who would believe the lie would re- receive strong delusions that they all might be damned because they did not love the truth. Now, we can learn a couple of things from this scripture. First, that the man of sin, the son of perdition, has to be a prophet because you don't become a prophet without becoming a son of perdition. You don't become a son of perdition without becoming a prophet. And that he sits in the temple of God. Well, where is the temple of God today? It is in Salt Lake City, Utah. It was built by Ephraim, not Judah. But he's waiting around for Judah to build a temple. The temple's already been built. And the man of sin that sits in the temple is a prophet of God who is one of the presidents of the church. And he elevates himself above the throne of God, which is a, 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 it's a, a an example, I guess. Well, what's going on here is that this man decides he's going to change the rules and the laws and the ordinances of God. And that he's going to do it all by his own authority. And he's going to lie to church members that how he's a prophecy and revelator, you know, that he's a flippin' son of perdition. And because these people do not love the truth enough to go to God in revelation and prayer... They believe the lie of the false prophet or the fallen prophet or the son of perdition that sits in that temple. But the principle here works for everyone. When you believe the lies of false doctrines and the precepts of men and you don't care enough to go to God to get the true interpretation and a confirmation of the Holy Spirit, God gives you strong delusion as a curse that you won't be damned because you did not love the truth enough to go to God to get it. Cursed are all they who trust in the flesh, need I say more.
when he wrote to Timothy, the reality of it had already come, and he said, all they which are of age should be turned away. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. See, as soon as, as soon as God puts a church on the earth and restores the truth, Satan is there to tear it to pieces. And, Mike, I don't know why the saints, the Latter-day Saints, think that it would be any different for them. Because, you know what, the church is not that stone that was broken away from the mountain that was made without hands. The mountain made without hands is the church. The stone is the stone of Ephraim that is excommunicated from the church that goes forth. That's the true interpretation of Daniel chapter 7. Everybody wants to say the, the stone is the, the, the stone is the stone that was cut away from the church and the, no wait, no, what do they say? Oh, the stone is the church that goes and fills the nations. But the mountain is a mountain made without hands. That is the church. Now, Jesus Christ was a stone and rock of Judah. Well, Genesis chapter 49 talks about the stone and rock of Joseph, of Ephraim. That's a person. That is a person who is telling you these things right now. And that stone gets excommunicated or cut out of the mountain made without hands because of their apostasy. And then he sprinkles the nation with his words. And you know what? These words, they're a big deal. They are recorded. Both in this format and in heaven. Anyway. Then he marveled that those in Galatia were soon removed from him that is called into, into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And also that there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 and 7. And you know when they say if an angel or a minister comes to you and preaches you any other gospel or gospel than the one that we have preached, let him be accursed, right? Well, what happens when you've been taught the false gospel and God sends a prophet to you to, to set you back in order? Well, you'll think that that is one of the false gospels because that's not the one that you heard when you were on your mother's lap, you know. That's not the one you heard when you were down at the pulpit at the church at the pulpit, you know, down the street with apostate Christianity. You know, so then you reject the prophet because you'll use that scripture out of context. That's why it's so important to get revelation for yourself. All right, but with the sadness of this general apostasy, understood that the times of refreshing shall come, which was to be the fullness of the time of the restitution of all things which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. That's Acts chapter 3, verse 21. And you know, it's interesting, right after that it talks about the man like and Moses, who when Moroni came to Joseph Smith, Moroni said that that man of Acts chapter um Two verse twenty. No, I think it's chapter three, twenty-two and twenty-three. Was Christ? 
or is Christ, but the day had not yet come when he would be rejected by his people. Well, Moroni came to Joseph Smith in the 1800s. Jesus had already been rejected by his people. The man likened to Moses, that's not Jesus. It's not Joseph Smith either, because Joseph Smith was told that that man had not yet come, but would soon come. So, you know, this is all part of it. This whole, this is like the restora- the restoration, like Joseph Smith laid the foundation of the restoration, and it continues, and there's more. And the LDS Church are stuck in the first restoration, but they have rejected so much from the first restoration that they as a whole do not receive the rest of the story. It would be brought. It would be brought about that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Ephesians chapter one verse ten. But this was only part of the ancient prophecy concerning the latter days. All of the prophets testify in these last days: war shall come upon the nations as it never has before. Jesus also testified that nations shall rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, Matthew chapter 24, verse 7. Isaiah the prophet said that thy men shall fall by the sword and the mighty in war, Isaiah 3:25. So many men will fall by the sword that in that day seven women will take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Isaiah chapter 4, verse 1. Although a similar situation had occurred before in Israel, this was to take place when nations shall not lift up their sword again for a thousand years, neither shall they learn war anymore. It is for these few men that are left, that the Lord said, I will make a man more precious than fine gold. But those men are polygamists with seven wives. Can you imagine that the Lord will introduce a thousand-year reign on the earth with a bunch of polygamists? The Lord manifested his approval of these conditions according to Isaiah, who said, the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and a shining, the shining of a flaming fire by night, Isaiah 4, 5. These are the dwelling places where the polygamists are living with seven women. Right after his mention of seven women taking hold of one man, Isaiah said... And we're on page 292 at 90%. In that day shall a branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, Isaiah 4, 2 and 3. He said that the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion by turning them over to the the polygamists who are then living. And then shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. God loves his children, and he does everything he can for their happiness. 
In perfect wisdom and in a just, kind, and benevolent manner, he brings about conditions and gives the commandments which are for their best good. There is no evil or mischief in his laws. They are given for the best possible reasons and to enable the receiving of the best possible blessings. But we have become an ungrateful people. We who have a Bible in our hands fail to appreciate what its history has taught us. We refute its doctrines and do not acknowledge its laws. It has ever been so. Out of ten men who are healed of leprosy, only one of them gave thanks and praise to Jesus and God. See Luke 17, 11-19. So it is with our present generation. We are totally indebted to the polygamists and to their descendants, to Abraham, Jacob, Moses, David, and their descendants. We are indebted for a conveying of knowledge from a true God. We are indebted to those polygamists for the Bible itself. And how much more should we feel indebted to them for Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world, who came through the strain of prophets, priests, and kings that lived polygamy. It is with greatest honor that we pay tribute to those comparatively faithful few who, in the face of prison, expulsion, excommunication, and even death itself, have maintained their integrity by defending the laws of God. Indeed, they are the salt of the earth and their lives and their doctrine shall stand as a witness to the unalterable truths of God throughout the eternities. So that is the conclusion of polygamy in the Bible. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. And there is a chat room at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. So, with that being said, let's see if there's anybody in the studio. Thank you for listening. Okay, yeah, nobody's called in. And nobody said anything in the chat room, so Kimmy, are you there? Yeah, am I um, muted both ways? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. I can hear you now. Oh, okay. I thought it was gonna have to go back and do it. Oh. Okay. Anyway, so we're finally done with that book after what, twenty six What's 26 divided by 4? 12.5? So 12 um, weeks, yeah. four episodes a week. It took us 12 weeks to go through that. No. So three months. Hold on, I'm on the wow. radio show. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I don't know exactly what the next book is going to be yet. I haven't figured it out. Um, I am about to go into the dip, though, unfortunately. 
Aren't you glad that we're done with that book? <laughs> what? Yeah. Do you know what it is that we're reading next? <laughs> I just... I don't know. What do you want to read next? <laughs> um, actually, I hadn't given you much thought because you always choose. So then I just am like, okay, I guess that's what we're listening to today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm done with polygamy for a while. I'm just, ugh. Thank so goodness. Done. Hallelujah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's so annoying well, to you know, hear. It's so, well, I mean... I only did it because people are fighting against polygamy, and then they all freak out. Oh, you're using the Bible. Well, yeah, I'm using the Bible. Joseph Smith said if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants, set them down as imposters. You know, but then they've got all kinds of other reasons why they reject polygamy. And it's like, you know what? Go off, on, go off with your apostate crap, you know. Like, and the only reason I know polygamy is a thing is because God showed me why it's a thing, which I've talked about on this program. You know, it's a spiritual thing. It's, um, it's a sailing of men to women. And the fact that there are many more women who are elect and qualify for the higher blessings than there are men, God allows plural celestial marriage or sealing because a man and a woman have to be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise to receive the highest blessing. But if there is a, you know, a, not a balanced ratio, you know, and in 2009 we talked about, uh, Kim, I can hear you. Oh, I sorry, hear Lydia. Lydia. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, in 2009, you know, um, I got statistics from the church that said that there was, for every 127 women, there was only 100 men. And then we tried to figure out what the numbers were. And it adds up to, like, there are millions more women in the church than there are men. And in order for them to all be skilled, they have to go flirt to convert, I guess. But that doesn't happen. You know, so there's all of these women who are not married, who are not sealed to anyone, who in order for them to have children, they have to go into the Gentile world and find some heathen to have them with, to have their children with. And the whole thing in Jacob chapter two where God allows polygamy is to raise up children unto him. And raising up children unto him doesn't mean you go into the world and you join with Babylon and all of the hordes of Babylon and, you know, choose from among them so you can have kids with some guy that doesn't give two craps about, you know, the truth or the restored gospel or whatever. You know, but the church, because they want to be popular with the world, they can give, they don't give two craps about, um, about these women who are single, who have never married, who never had children. And that is a huge upon the church in its current form and its apostasy. And these people who fight against polygamy, they are part of the stain that God will wash out. And, you know, that wash water's got to go down the drain because it ain't going to be clean 
it ain't going to be that they're clean. They have stains, stains on their garments, which, the, which their willful rebellion, the blood of Jesus, does not cover. So, and I, I don't even, I don't even know what to do with them, you know. So, anyway, um, I do want to read Becoming One with Christ, but um, I don't know where the book is. Maybe Olivia can go in the library in the office and see if she can see it. It's a, a blue book with white letters. The only thing that I don't like about that book is that I can't put the text for the chapter up on the thing, and I can't, I can can't rely on anybody to do it. It's called Becoming One with Christ by Jim Cobb. Oh, yeah, that's the one you wanted to do. That's the one you were talking about yesterday. Becoming yeah. One with Christ by Jim Cox. Yes. It's Becoming One with Christ by Jim Cox. Sorry, she just asked me it's after a blue I did book. it. No, I'm repeating I, it. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's a blue book with light, white letters. It's been a while since I've seen it. Or, and it's about the same length as these other books, you know. Mm-hmm, yeah. Well, I don't know. Um, whatever we do, I'm not going to do polygamy again. Oh, I was going to say something before I went into death. So, like, I've had multiple people say, is all you do is focus on polygamy all the time? That's all you teach about? And I'm like, well, if you'd actually click on the link and look at the catalog of stuff that I have covered over the years, you're going to find hundreds. In fact, I think we're on 500, I think this is episode 578. Uh, and that's just 578 that were public. There's a bunch of ones which I never made public, um, you know, that aren't counted. You know, and then all of the ones that I did on the Kingdom of God or Nothing podcast and internet radio show, which was another uh, 484, I think. You know, so um, in all, there's been over uh, a thousand podcasts, all between two to four hours long. You know, but, oh, all I ever do is talk about polygamy. No, that's what we're covering right now, but that's not what we always cover, you know. So, and like, and I've said it before as well, like, I don't even want to live polygamy. If God asks me to live it, I'll live it. But there's got to be a sure witness, and there's got to be revelation between God and me and God and Kim independently, you know, for me to even go down that road. And I, I don't. I don't even know. Anyway... But it's still a true principle, and, and if uh, if all it's required of me is to be skilled to other women without having a con con, what's it called? The con, it's not conjugation. Kim, help me with words. Um, I have no idea what you're trying to say. Consummate. Oh, okay. I was to um, say she can't find the conjugate. book. We can't find your book. Oh, yeah. That's fine. I'll figure something else out. Anyway, I was so, saying conjugate. Yeah. No, it's con... Wait, I lost the word consummate. again. Con- consummate. Consummate. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's not even important in polygamy. 
Okay, what's important? Now, if she needs to have children, then each woman is assigned children. All of these women that never have children, they were all assigned children before they came to this world. And they don't get to have them unless they go to some church outside of the church or some heathen inside of the church. You know, and that's not raising up children under the Lord when you have to go to some unrighteous guy to have children with. That's not raising children up under the Lord. That is actually the opposite of raising children up under the Lord. But the but the important thing is the stealing. So anyway, I know you guys are way busy doing all the things. Did you get all the smoke detectors put up? No, I didn't, but I um, I haven't. Sorry, Um, I just I'm not moving. I'm sitting in the living room. Actually, I don't. I I mean, I'm sitting in the kitchen at the table. I'm trying to. um, Oh, my phone is being ridiculous. So my phone wasn't working. I had to hook it up to Wi-Fi in order to call. Do you know what I mean? Like it hasn't been breaking up for me, but I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's ridiculous. Anyways, um. Oh, what was I just going to tell you? Um, So since it's the first, I haven't done the new calendar yet. I'm trying to write things on it really quickly because we're just going to replace it and put it up. Also, the next um, activity that we had to do tonight for the class that we're taking is um, the power of praising and ignoring. So trying to ignore bad behavior but praise the good behaviors. And um, it has different things. So... um, how much did we say about this whole class that we're doing? Um, so we're trying to help with our teenager, one of our teenagers. She's having some issues, and we're trying to help her to do um, better. So um, so in this workbook that we have, it has different sections on it for the, the teenager to um, compliment and, and also record the compliments and what – um, um, we wrote everybody's name down. We discussed about um, complimenting immediately and not thinking about it later and then doing something about it later, um, explaining exactly what it is that you're complicating and why you're com- or complimenting, sorry, why you're complimenting it, exactly what you're complimenting, and then, like, you know, be about it, talk um, right to their face and maybe on the side of their arm or something. She that needs just shows to that you're realize to... that complimenting as a snide comment is not really complimenting because she does that all the time. You know, it's got to be a smart Alex comment. You know, so anyway, hopefully, like, she can practice. Oh, Kim's gone. I don't know where she is. Anyway, I'm just going to be done with the program for today. So I I have to make this turn onto the mine road before I can push the button. But um, I don't know. Our daughter, like, is always putting people down. And when she gets a compliment, it's not really a compliment. Oh, hey, Kim. Can you hear Hello. me now? Sorry. I'm just having yeah. really bad connectivity, I think. I don't know. The Internet at the house was having problems earlier today, too. 
uh, according to Amberly or, or to Eliza, she said it wasn't working. So I don't know what's going on. Anyway, uh, do you have the studio open, or does Emmett have the studio open where he can like play the music? Can you um, open up the studio, or do you have it open? Can you stop talking, please? All of you, stop talking. Don't talk. Emmett, do you have the studio open? So he's getting on to that right now. Oh, okay. Why wasn't he on it before? Um, I don't know. It was dinner time? He just got back from homework class. He's doing other things, so he wasn't on. Oh, okay. Well, I need him to be on every day, even if he's not listening. Because I can't. I mean, I can do it, but then I'm, like, trying to focus on the screen that I am not supposed to be playing with when I'm driving. Okay. So, um, I didn't hear what you said when I was gone, when I was done, um, but... I was just talking about how Olivia likes to, um, like, insult people, and when she gives a compliment, it's usually not really a compliment. Yeah. So, so I don't know why um, she's so this negative. workbook is also she's for the well. parents. Yeah. <clears throat> Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm on the mine road though. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's why you're breaking up. So, um, also it has the parents section where um, you give compliments and you um, ignore the bad, but you praise the opposite of what you're trying to fix. So. Um, like if they're fighting, then you're trying to praise every time you find them getting along and not just being like if they're just being there and being whatever, that's fine. But like going out of their way specifically to help somebody else or, you know, help um, to get along instead of like being upset or um, like instead of being lazy, we know which child we talk about when we're talking about that. When, we're, when they're lazy, we're not talking about that. We're going to praise being productive like Instead of talking about the the bads, we're just going to praise the good and hope to bring out that positive behavior. Um, yeah. So um, that's what we're doing. Uh, well, I was trying to work on no that. consequences for their bad actions. You just praise them to death. And then you get the, uh, you know, everybody gets a trophy generation that we have now. Okay. So, um, again, that's not accurate because, uh, like we talked about yesterday, um, there is consequences and there's a consequence jar so that when there is an inappropriate behavior, like when there is um, the fighting, then there's a jar and it has consequences in the jar on the little popsicle stick things. And when you um, are fighting and then mom says you need a consequence, you know, that's you're being, you know, you're being rude, you're being angry, you're being upset, you're whatever, then you need to go get the jar or mom will get the jar and then pick out the consequence out of the jar from whichever popsicle stick you retrieve. And then you also have that consequence for whatever the action was. So like we could say, okay, you were fighting with your brother and sister or with your brother. Okay. So you were, you were arguing with your, your sibling. Yeah. So you were arguing with your sibling, go get the fighting jar right now. And then, you know, the, the argument would ensue and the moaning and whining and whatever. And then goes and gets the jar, pulls the popsicle stick out. Popsicle stick says, go fill a bucket with rocks. 
and then we don't talk about the whole incident or anything that's going on. You have to go outside and go and fill up the bucket with rocks, and then we'll talk about it and discuss once that is completely filled. Then you come back in, um, you know, then you do work on the problem. You apologize um, sincerely for, you know, the um, commotion and whatever you've caused. Um, but then at the same time where there is consequences yeah, for your actions. if 12 hours to do it, what's the consequence then? You fill up more buckets of rocks? Um, no, but... Um, but that's what they'll do. I don't know. So it's all to correct behavior. This isn't just because we want the behavior corrected. She wants to correct the behavior. She wants to improve the relationship with everybody. She um, wants to do better and be better and do a better job. So she's invested in it as well. But it's hard for somebody... It's hard for somebody to improve or do better if they're always being told that everything they do is terrible and wrong all the time and how incompetent and ridiculous. Yeah, so when you're constantly being told that all the time, then there really isn't a purpose to do any better or get better. So having a constant reminder of how you are can be so weighing on a person, on their soul, and it can make it so that they feel they feel like it doesn't even they feel like it doesn't even matter to even do anything more or better and what is the purpose of that. And we try to like reward them, you know, and try to like give them a good life, you know, but they walk all over it, and they destroy everything that we give them, you know, and, and, and they continue on with the bad behavior. And, like, you know, all of this, it's mumble, I don't know, mumble jumbo, and I'm glad that you're trying, and I hope that you can. But I don't think that anything's ever going to change as long as I'm a Mr. Truck Driver that never gets to come home, and you've got to be a single parent all the damn time, you know. But I don't know what to do I think about that, that if we're always negative about it all the time. I'm negative. I'm sorry. I'm negative because I'm burned out because it happens all the time. And as long as we have a babysitter that is like sometimes they can watch her and sometimes they can't, I'll never be able to be a day driver, you know. I'll never be able to date because I, like today, I had to watch some, uh, you know, areas, you know, so you're never going to have me home, and you'll never have help, and you'll be a single parent for the rest of your life until we don't have kids anymore, or at least until they go to school, but then the other thing, too, is I have to listen be here to, uh, you know, to be there so that when they get sick, I can go get them or whatever. Luckily, that doesn't happen, so that's nice. Well, it did. It has happened in the past. Yeah, it happened one time, like yeah. You, and the other time, no, got, our babysitter took them. That, that started happening later on. But anyway, I don't know. I I don't know. 
you know, maybe that would be the reason why polygamy would be a thing to help, but but I, there's like there's like some ups to it, but then there's some downs to it, you know, and it's something you help. don't do. You're just saying so you that you can help. have a babysitter? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, like like our friend Charlotte, she stays home, and she homeschools the kids, and she uh, takes care of the food and the meals and everything. And then our her friend, daughter does. Oh, she helps too, which is another thing. Like her daughter is a no, teenager. No, her daughter does all of that. Yeah, her daughter is in charge of all of the food and the making of the meals. Charlotte does not do it. Oh, well, we have a daughter, too, but... <laughs> yeah, and the other sister wife doesn't agree with that because she feels like that that daughter has too much um, say about, like, that part of the family, I guess, or something. So the other sister wife disagrees with that. The daughter is in charge of that. Yeah. And Melissa, she's got a full-time job. You know, she's a special... Or she's a, a nurse, you know. And our friend... Our uh, their husband has a job as well, you know. So, but you yeah, know, he goes like, away a lot too. I know because he works for the government. Yep. For, but he's a very specialized, very intelligent individual. Yeah, he makes good money. So anyway, but um. You know, and like all of those reasons to live polygamy are not a reason to live polygamy. That's not a reason to live polygamy. You don't live it unless uh, unless God calls you to live it. And like I was talking about before, well, with Joseph Smith, I don't believe he ever consummated any of those marriages. I believe his polygamy was stealing only. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't believe that he wanted to live polygamy, but God commanded him to live it, and he knew the reason why, because God showed him the reason why, same as he showed me. And But he did not want to live it, and he only lived it because it was a requirement for him to live it. And that he was still doing this woman, because that's what the important part of the whole thing is. I mean, raising up children unto the Lord is a very good part of it, but it's not the reason it exists. Because if there was a one-to-one ratio of, of good men and good women who re, who uh, who had the... Uh, can you tell them to stop doing whatever they're doing? Or just mute me, I guess. Or mute yourself. Anyway, but um, to if there was a one-to-one ratio, it wouldn't even be an issue. Polygamy wouldn't even be a thing. But the fact of the matter is, on earth and in heaven, in the pre-existence, there are just more women who qualify than there are men who qualify. And the woman has to lower her standards if she cannot find somebody who qualifies. Or she just has to stay single. And all of those children that she made covenants to before she was born, uh, before, you know, she came to earth, they'll go to somebody else because they still have to come down. And they might have to go into some Gentile heathen family 
instead of the family that they were supposed to go to to begin with. So anyway, all right, well, Kim, I'm going to end the music because I am sitting, sitting here. Or anyway, I'll, uh, I'll call you in a little bit. Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Okay. Okay, I'll talk to you later. Okay, bye. Thank you.